it's time to relax. You know what that means. A glass of wine, your favorite easy chair, and of course... Radio Free Brooklyn. Playing on your home stereo. So go on and indulge yourself. That's right. Kick off your shoes, put your feet up, lean back and just enjoy... Lost and rewound. After all, it's time to get embarrassed with us. So funny, so bantery. Amazing. Uh-huh. Bantery, bantery, bantery. It's as if we're just coming back from having a wonderful conversation. Yes, it is. We've only gotten started, and this is the precedent that we set for this hour of Lost and Rewound here. Every Thursday, 3 p.m., you never know what to expect. A beautiful canned experience. <laughs> a beautiful canned experience. <laughs> it's my birthday episode, actually. You know that? I didn't. <laughs> I'm a bad I'm a bad co-host. No, no, no. You're a bad friend. You're not a bad co-host. <laughs> Should I have been like here with cupcakes? Is this Uh actually, no, but it's terrible of me to forget that my wife actually got a bunch of cupcakes from Fresh Direct and I uh, Christmas and Hanukkah flavored uh flavored. Flavored. Yeah, love that love <laughs> that Jewish flavor. It's my favorite. Christmas, Christmas just feels like a bunch of eggnog just got infused into the US of A. Nothing's free. Nothing is for free. Nothing's free. And if you wish to, at your own free will, give us some, <laughs> some money, we, yes. need, we need the money. Not necessarily us, although if you do want to sponsor our show, you can do so. If you go to our personal page at RadioFreeBrooklyn.com slash LAR, but to the station as a whole. RadioFreeBrooklyn.com slash pledge. There you will be directed to the Patreon page where you can donate $1, $3, $5, $7, a bunch of numbers that are probably prime numbers. But dollar whatever, dollars. But whatever the dollar amount, it will go towards financial ease for the station as a whole. There's a lot of things that we need. And always new equipment. We're always breaking equipment. <laughs> That sort of thing. I don't know about breaking. We're breaking it as we speak. We just need... We're breaking we, it in. We just want to make sure to bring you the best Radio Free Brooklyn experience. And you can, if yeah. you donate enough, have a tote bag experience. That's yeah. right. It's just like PBS. Don't we have tote bags? We do have tote bags. That's what and, I'm saying. And, and I also want to remind, I did allude to this last week. That this is true, and I can't confirm the amount of money, but... You can get the studio named after you. I wonder wonder what the cost of that would be. So, Mom, if you do donate a lot of money for my birthday, you can have this be the Alon's mom studio. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I don't know if your college does the same thing with the college. Do they call your family and ask for donations? And um, my mother told me that she donated $100 to the college. And I was Mm -hmm. like, Ma... I donated $160,000. I think we're good. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. We're straight. You don't need to give them the last hundred bucks that you have, Mom. She's like, they were so sweet on the phone. It's like, please, please. But we're sweet on the radio, and you can give us, and we really need it. There was no extra 160 k you paid us to listen. Again, those links are RadioFreeBrooklyn.com slash pledge and RadioFreeBrooklyn.com slash L-A-R. Let's begin. <laughs>
guest for this hour is a buddy of mine from Woodstock who has been on the show before in our former podcast iteration and also was kind enough to be sound man for a little bit of season two of Lost and Rewound. Welcome to the show, Ryan Reich. Hi, guys. Nice to be here. Welcome, welcome. Good to have you. April of 2015, I think, or something like that. Yeah, I think summer of 2015, Okay. Maybe. Yeah. When we were recording in, in my living room for a little bit. We were doing that. Oh, 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 how young we were. Not far from where you grew up, actually, Jimmy. Really? Yeah, over on um, Prospect Avenue yeah. in Windsor Terrace. Yeah. Incidentally, around the corner from where I used to live in Windsor Terrace, so. <laughs> the hood. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the hood is right. <laughs> the hood where all the Irish and, poli- and hey. Irishmen and policemen Oy. go to Farrell's and all that. Exactly. Go for a wee point. It's the union members, the teachers. Did you ever go to Farrell's when you were out there? I think once. And then I was intimidated away from it. Oh, you yeah. were intimidated? Yeah, by of all course. The, are you kidding me? Police officers and firemen, of course. Yeah, you, it's, you, it's a tough bar, dude. Do yeah. you not like people with authority? Oh, there's nothing about not liking them. It's just that when they all get off their shift, there's no room at that bar for anyone else. Yeah, yeah. They're, <laughs> they're not welcoming and super friendly to other mm-hmm. people. It's not like they're like, oh, just come and drink with us. Like, why not? What are you, a transplant? <laughs> <laughs> what are you, from like Ohio? We love people from Ohio. <laughs> I went there actually once, not with my wife, but with a friend who was female, who was local, and I guess would go in there every now and again. And when in Rome, let's just go with it and see what happens. Because I was much more comfortable going to the other place across the street. Cause yeah, that, Double Windsor's nice. Double Windsor's cool. Double Windsor's uh, classic. Double Windsor used to be a video rental place. Yeah. And I bought Unbreakable for $2 there on DVD. That's brilliant. Great moments in history. <laughs> Unbreakable on VHS. Do you still have any VHS, Ryan? I do have four VHS cassettes that I bought at a Salvation Army outside of Enumclaw, Washington. Enumclaw, Washington is... a great is, name for it. Is yeah. that outside Seattle or way, Olympia? Way, way outside of Seattle. <laughs> well, so is it more inward, not by the coast? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's but like by Spoken. The, I think the best VHS that I bought there, I don't remember the name of it, but it was Cowboy Poems Acted Out. What? So it's this Sounds guy amazing. who is known apparently by maybe five to six people as the cowboy poet reciting some of his poems. I'm pretty sure every human being who he's ever done a favor for acting them out <laughs> as characters in the poem. <laughs> It was really, really I, bizarre. You know what's uh, what's even more bizarre than that? I can't think of any instance where I remember any normal poet that had their poems acted out, let alone a cowboy poet. Right. <laughs> right. None of these things are logical from A to B. It's no. funny. When you say poet laureate, the first thing I can think someone – With a lariat? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> a lariat. Poet lariat. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that was in one of his poems. He was very punny. <laughs> Indeed. Wait. So oh, that, was, that was a VHS that you got while you were out there. How often – would you be interested in actually picking up finds of the archaic media variety? Are you big in that? Not normally. Um, not like you, Alon. Yeah, not not nearly <laughs> as much as no, you. It's okay. But, <laughs> I set the bar. Yeah, I mean, when, when you see something as comedy gold as that, I mean, I love watching really bad movies and stuff like that. Movies from, like, just before my childhood, so, like, late 70s, early oh, 80s that were, the like... The glory days of bad movies. Yeah, exactly. Agreed. Um, 
So when I saw something like that, I was just like, okay, yeah, this is going to cost me a dollar, and then I can have, what, an hour's worth of riotous laughter from it? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to get it. Were this. you always into bad movies, even when you were a kid, or was that something that you acquired being ironic or not ironic, I guess, as you got older? I don't know. I think it's something that I didn't realize I was into as a kid. I genuinely enjoyed some bad movies until probably my, like, preteen years, when I had some exposure to the outside world. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And you really figure out, there's something about Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> there's something about freestanding fires in a movie where there's nothing burning. <laughs> yeah. There's no reason for the fire to be there, but it's there. Yeah. And it's adding something. Well, I think, I think really it was uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000 and falling into that trap yeah. one night at 3 a.m. and being like, oh, my God. I sincerely wish I got more into that show, but I was very into that when it was on. Because of the really random time slot that it had on, I think, Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. on Comedy Central. I want to say it was like something really random where it was. I remember it always being on a weird, weird obscure times and like never knowing when to catch it. But anytime I was on, I would like to watch it. Maybe it was just me. Maybe it was the fact I was ADD, too, and that my attention span could not sit for an hour and a half watching a serial TV program. I definitely was entertained, but it was very difficult for me to deal with watching commercials. If I was watching something like that uninterrupted, I think I could dig it because it's no different than watching a movie on, on an HBO or a Showtime versus that of the Pix11 movie. We'll be back in a little bit oh, after God. I learned from our sponsor. I remember sponsor. those. When they, like, it was a big deal that they were showing a movie on TV and yeah. they'd like, be announcing it for a week. Like, at the end of this week, we're showing a regular movie. It's <laughs> just yeah. like, wow, it's the Pix11 movie of the week. It's going to be like Mrs. Doubtfire. And you're like, oh, I got to make sure I watch it. For some reason, I think I've watched The Golden Child on, <laughs> on Channel 11 maybe 15 to 20 times. Classic Eddie Murphy. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to wonder what film would be like the classic bad movie that I watch on TV every time it comes on. There's definitely movies where I'll, I'll if they're on, I, I play them and that's it. You know, you just, we just watch. Honestly, I think the, the through point for me is actually uh, Tywin Lannister. What? He's, he's in The Golden Child as the villain and he's in Last Action Hero as the villain. And I think those are probably two movies that I've seen the most on TV with commercials and in no other way. You know what's the weirdest and most obscure thing I just saw Tywin Lannister in, I, I, I started flat out laughing when I saw him in it. He's in uh, Ollie G in the house. He's the villain. No way. Yeah, he's the villain in the, in the house. How did I miss that? I know. It was just because it was years ago before we really recognized him. But there was a lot of famous British actors that showed up in that film, and it was a terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like, I like Ali really G. Bad. I like Ali G, but that was just, it was just really bad. It was a really bad film. We've <laughs> talked about on the show before how, Ryan, uh, your TV situation growing up was rather limited in that um, because of where you happened to be located in Mount Tremper, New York, just outside of Woodstock, your cable situation was a bit spotty. So you didn't oh, really there, were, there was no cable situation. They refused to run cables up the mountain that I lived on. So you, so you, you had didn't... an antenna right outside of my bedroom yeah. with a little amplifier next to my bed, which I'm positive was giving me some really weird dreams. <laughs> um, but yeah, so occasionally we'd get two to three channels and then four to five channels of snow. Mm hmm. Um, I mean, my pa my yeah. dad told me when he was a kid that's what it, it was. Three cha there were three channels, and yeah, he sure. said that there was no broadcasting at night. They signed off at night, and the TV just was dead air in the evening. So a lot of the movies that you would watch, probably, I mean, as well as your dad, Jimmy, you, know, you would have to rent the movie. Well, even, Somebody would record it on TV. Even, and even as the... crazy as that is, to show you how far we've come technology-wise, my parents got married in '82, right? And when they got married in '82, my 
grandparents got them as a wedding present a VHS player. Hmm. As nice. a wedding present. That's cool. It cost over $1,000 in 82, which I can't imagine how much that would be with inflation now. Sure. A few grand at least. I mean, it's a wedding present from your parents. And every tape cost around 100 bucks. When they got it, they even told me, they said they barely would ever buy tapes because they were so expensive and they would only record things off of television. They just buy blanks because the blanks were not so bad. Ryan, your parents had a VHS player as well as a camcorder. We had one VCR. We had two TVs. We were a lucky family, I guess. Um, <laughs> moving on up. But I remember moving the VCR a couple of times between the TVs because my sister wanted to watch something on TV in the living room and I wanted to watch a recording of Star Trek that my grandparents had made on cable in New Jersey and sent up to me on, on a wow. VHS cassette. Star Trek. Old, I used to watch Star Trek on TV all the time as a kid. <laughs> the old Star Trek all the time. I my my grandparents really loved Star Trek: The Next Generation, and they really wanted us to. And I really didn't like it very much. But I just realized recently that Jean Luc Picard has really shaped my life as a father figure. That's so funny. You know what? I know it's interesting actually. Now that you bring that up, my mother, when I was literally little, watched the OG Star Trek, you know, original series all the time, and my grandmother. The same way. She absolutely loved The Next Generation. And she always used to watch Voyager and stuff like that, too. Mm -hmm. I personally just started watching Next Gen a couple of weeks ago. It's so good, dude. Yeah. It's so good. It's like, it's crazy how good it is and how exactly how you're right. Like Picard, there's all these ways that he's acting, these life lessons and stuff. And you're right. It's infused in our childhood. That was our generation. Yeah. I watched four episodes last weekend while I was cat sitting for a friend. And I was just like, oh, my God, I'm actually making decisions because of things I subconsciously learned from Captain Jean-Luc Picard. Yeah. And I'll tell you. He is barely ever sleeping with aliens. That's true. <laughs> like, he does not very, sleep with aliens very, very often. Very rare. The big difference in him and Kirk, he's never sleeping with aliens. He's not fighting. Like, Kirk is always fist fighting somebody at the same time. Like, Kirk is always doing everything himself. And they always have Riker to be that role for him. Mm-hmm. But there was one episode or so where Picard got to punch a guy in the face. And I was like, Damn right. Yes. <laughs> I wanted that so bad. <laughs> we were chatting about movies and TV shows. I was going to play this clip later, but it seems appropriate to start with this one. And then we'll get to the real meat and potatoes. Meat and potatoes. The nitty gritty. Then later. But right now, this is very relevant. I have a friend here right now who slept over. That's right. Repulsive Ryan. Hey boy, is he waiting to do some recording? Am I right, Repulsive? What? Are you ready oh. for some Repulsive Ryan? Here we go. Repulsive Ryan. Repulsive Ryan. Hi, Repulsive Ryan here. Yes. Hey, get over here, ugly. Okay. The first movie that I shall review is Johnny Mnemonic. Oh, sure, he's cute. But, Mommy, can I bring him home? No. Who went to bed? Next one, Pocahontas. Oh, isn't that sweet? An Indian falls in love with John Smithy Whiskey Tricky. You know... He kind of reminds me of someone. Ugly boy! Also known as, um... Uh, Jake. He's a dog. Jake is a dog. He bites anything, okay? Alright. Next. How about one that we all know? Casper, the friendly ghost. He 
makes me wet my pants. He's so scary. at some point saying that and then it became like a recurring thing on Dancer mm-hmm. Zone. Yeah. And once it became a recurring thing, it was, it definitely was not pleasant. <laughs> it was it was pretty repulsive. You know, nicknames take a mind of their own, man. Yeah. That's how that goes. It's one of those things where you mention it one time or someone says it once and it just catches fire. You never can make it for yourself. You yeah. Know? And and I think like a, a bunch of the other things on the Danziger Zone the characters really kind of just became their own thing. I honestly don't think I had seen Johnny Mnemonic. I don't remember seeing Casper the Ghost when I was that young. Or Pocahontas. I may have seen Pocahontas, but I don't remember any dogs named Jake. So but what's so funny really is, sure is that Adventure Time, are coming from. Adventure Time, the dog is named Jake. Well, you know, I did years. invent Adventure exactly. Time, yeah, and then is... they ripped it off from me. Exactly. So if we can He's use a dog. this tape to, He's a dog. to prove any of that, Cheers. and I can get some cash. I'm telling you. I'm yeah. telling you. I know you are good friends with one of the guys who hosts We Hate Movies. You grew up with Eric Siska. You know, we were all grew up together in Woodstock, but you were especially good friends with him. And him now being with such great success as a movie critic of such shitty, shitty, shitty movies. <laughs> so Johnny Mnemonic, I bet, is somewhere in that list. It's a pretty bad film. Interesting that you are doing your own movie reviews as, you know, what, like a 12-year-old here. Yeah, and... I think timing-wise that makes sense because that was probably recorded maybe a year before Eric and I really became friends. We had met on the bus and just kind of realized that, oh, we have similar interests, started hanging out, watching movies, watching a lot of bad movies. I think the first time that I watched Mystery Science Theater 3000 was actually at his house That's at so 3 awesome. in the morning. So, yeah. Too funny. The approach you had to reviewing the films. Classic. Classic. <laughs> I, used to, I, could feel, I could feel the little Cisco, the little Ebert. You talked about the commercial for Pepsi or whatever at yeah. one point, and I was really trying to call to my mind what the actual song you're making fun of was. I think it's nothing was. else, nothing else, nothing else. is a Pepsi. And he just added He added in a special ingredient to yes. the end. Yeah. Um, Except my weenie. <laughs> <laughs> nothing in a Pepsi. But... Also my weenie. <laughs> and if you aren't repulsed by that, you're not listening hard enough. Exactly. No, definitely not. E, did you ever have, like, would it, would it be a literary or some alliteration name, nickname in your past like that? That's a good question. I mean, you mean like, just in general, a nickname? Like, elusive was... E. Oh, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> or elastic Elon. So like in improv, for example, when you are doing like an icebreaker, a lot of times, a lot of teachers, when improv classes are beginning in order to introduce people and get everybody all comfortable and acquainted, they'll say, okay, you say your name and then say an adjective that describes you and then do a movement with that name. Yeah. So for me, I would be like... Elastic Elon, and then I'll do like some, like, some <laughs> dancing thing. Yeah, yeah and then people not? will have to do it, but everybody will have to go around the circle and, and remember. Exactly. No, I, I remember I did, I did that game before. Yeah, I could see you also as enthusiastic Elon. Enthusiastic Elon. Yeah, right. Energetic Elon. What would you guys do? I, I see. I never had a jumping Jimmy. Yeah, that's the first one that came to mind. I was like, that's idiotic. Jumping Jimmy. <laughs> 
It's just ridiculous. Ryan. Um, <laughs> but the, the one that I think of, and I don't know if we've ever talked about this before what? on the show. Maybe you would know better than me. Mm-hmm. This is when the nickname was given to me, and it's not in the exact same vein, but it's similar. Which one? <laughs> Which nickname? Jim Jammer. Well, that's your uh, moniker. I didn't make social that, media. I didn't make that up. Though. Who made up Jim Jammer? So Jim Jammer. So when I was growing up, there was this guy who used to bully me all the time. He tried to bully us, but he was like six inches shorter than me. It was like an antagonistic relationship, but I never really felt scared of him. Would you, of would you say he was an aspiring bully? <laughs> <laughs> he needed to work on it. Yeah. Just overcompensated? Well, I'll tell you, actually, my best friend, his older brother, we sang out with his older brother sometimes and all his brother's friends, and his older brother's six years older than us. So all his friends were the same way, six years older. And some of them were cool with the fact that we'd be around and some would not be cool with the fact that we were younger and hanging around. Mm-hmm. And one instance, actually, my friend came behind him, started punching him in the back of the head and yanking on his hair. He never bullied us after that. And we were like eight. <laughs> he like beat him up when he was eight years old to the point where he cried. But anyway. But he was the bully. He was the bully. Did you <laughs> yes. ever deal with any bullies, Ryan? Um, maybe I thought they were bullies at the time, but really not. No. I mean, skirted around it. We went to an area uh, where this, in the schools uh, there was a pretty good mix of people who were either very, very pleasant and raised by great people or people who may have had a little too much hate in their hearts. <laughs> um, that's, a, that's a good way to put it. And like, grew up yeah. to continue having the hate in their of hearts. Course. Yeah, that's of course. Definitely people who grew very up true. Yeah, people who grew up bullies tend to be bullies in adulthood just in a different way. Yeah. They become police Adult and things rules. like that. Adult rules! Yeah, Adult, Adult rules! rules. Yeah. Adult yeah. rules! So, like, oh. I, I never got, like, slammed into a locker or, like, beaten up out on the playground, but I was called my fair share of names. Sure. And, this is the classics, know, yeah. Classic exclusion stuff. A lot of Christians really didn't like me for some reason. Could have been that my parents came from Jewish stock. Yeah, you know, I I lived through all that, uh, you know, classically childhood racism where the kids have no idea why they feel that way, but they just feel that way. All the bullying that occurred when I started Poughkeepsie Day School, this relatively smaller school uh, for what it may be worth compared to the huge public middle and high school that you went to, my, the only animosity that really came my way was that it was a poser by dressing in clothing that I got from the mall that was decidedly skateboarder. Skater. No, I got the same thing. They're <laughs> yeah. like, well, you're wearing a hoodie when you don't skate. Wait, what? And I was just like. No, wait, hold on. Time out. Time out. It's one thing if you're wearing a shirt with like a design. No, like I was just wearing a hoodie. Like just yeah. a hoodie. Not what? even like Element or something like what that. What in like, the ever-loving fuck does that have and anything were... to do with skating? When I was growing up, there was two different ways to dress. There was the dress like a skater, which yeah. was to dress like a white person, mm-hmm. and then there was dressing like a hood person. So that there was no in between. So the fact was that I didn't wear like a fitted cap and giant jeans and a giant jacket. They were like, and I wore just Jankos. wore like yeah, junkos. And, and the fact that I just wore like in my mind what was the same clothes I wear now. That's like skater gear to them, and they're yeah. like, oh come on. And then I didn't skate, so there was this like in between thing. And they're like, you don't skate, you ain't really white. What's going on right now? I can't really, I can't really see it. Oh yeah, but let me just finish that story about the uh, the Jim Jammer. Jim Jammer. So I'm walking with this guy one time. We're with him and uh, a couple of our other friends, and I don't really know how it came up. But he actually was a drummer in a hardcore band, and the band was sort of semi-popular in the 90s, I want to say, uh, called The Fiction. And now he's in some other band I want to call, say, called Old Ghost, or he's always in some other band. The bands are good. I've seen them before. I'm like, he's a really good drummer. And he said to me one time, because he knew like I had this voice and stuff, and, and I'm so skinny, and he goes, oh, Jimmy, dude, you should be uh, the vocalist in a hardcore band. You should be a hardcore band, and your band will be called Jim Jammer and the Skillionaires. 
(laughs) (laughs) I know. And I was like, that's awesome, dude. That's so cool. After that, me and my friend actually tried to start a band called Jim Jammer and Skillionaires. At the moment, we were like, wait a second. Are you saying we're millionaires of skill? <laughs> like, this is ingenious. <laughs> or possibly billionaires of That's skill. This kind of goes on trillionaires. It goes all, and it keeps working. And then I just kept the moniker I use now for all my uh, social media and stuff, Jim Jammer. Dope. Nice. We got to uh, get to some more clips in a little bit. Ryan, you brought an amazing tape that we just have to cut through. Stay tuned right here. Lost and Rewound on Radio Free. did have one guest come on the show at some juncture in season two what the clip was was it was a lady who had her parents record a conversation with an astrologer who provided their eight-month daughter with a natal chart reading she couldn't be audible in terms of words she was a baby but her parents were there and it was still very interesting i bring this up because ryan you were how old when your mom insisted on getting your natal chart reading done? It wasn't my mom, actually. I was 18, and I was working for a guy at the time who was really into numerology and astrology. He owned a graphic design and computer company in Woodstock. I see. Um, and he had been paying me minimum wage since I was 14 to come by like after school and do menial tasks like data entry, stuff like that. And so for my 18th birthday, he decided to get me one of these star chart readings from an astrologer's astrologer that he really trusted and liked. Uh, But but was not New York based. Yeah, she lived out in California. In L.A. Um, Wait, so how do they do that? You don't have to go there, I guess, then, right? No. So you have to give her your place of birth, date of birth, and time of birth. Yeah. Um, the point is, is that they're supposed to be able with that information. That. Yeah, yeah, look at the entire star and then chart. Look at the stars. And... Yeah, boom. Exactly. Okay. Okay. So what was then... happening at the exact moment? Moment when you were born. Yeah. Okay. That then programs the rest of your life and all of the <laughs> life that came before you. Apparently. Yes. So when they say where you were born, does that have to do with what stars were above you in the sky? I think so. To be honest, I'm not too knowledgeable about astrology in general, but this guy was super, super into this. I really respected him a lot. So it was something that I was like, okay, sure, I'm, I'm open to this. Uh, and you're going to pay for it, so what do I really have to lose here? I feel bad that I assumed it was your mother because my mother got my natal chart done, and Cheshire, the aforementioned lady who was on our show to talk about her natal chart reading, it just seems like it's something that your parents, if they're spiritual enough, are interested in and therefore bring it on to you. But that's really interesting that your employer was the one who did it. We were in Woodstock, New York. I mean, yeah, plus, uh, didn't, you ever uh... see the, didn't you ever see that episode of uh, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air where the guy talked to the dog? What? 
You never saw an episode where Will started working for a guy that was like a wealthy business owner, and the guy was into numerology and astrology, and he was incredibly lucky, and he thought that Will was his good luck charm, and he was always trying to like get his palm read. And I'm going to have to watch using, this now. Using, <laughs> Will, this and using Will's background and his birth and stuff like that to make his business decisions in the future. Huh. I That's, no idea. So that makes a lot of sense that in that instance it was the same way. Hey, we're just li- we're just living out we're just living out sitcoms. <laughs> we're just living out sitcoms. We're just endless episodes of reruns. Okay, so my life is, you're is one long episode. <laughs> I understand that. Talk to us about what Ryan Reich was like. You used to be Ryan Rich. You changed your last name pronunciation when you wanted to gain some artistic separation from right well it wasn't it wasn't totally like to gain artistic separation really uh my uncle started pronouncing our last name reich and i really respected my uncle and and he was a doctor of communications i think and really really intelligent guy so it was just something where people have been mispronouncing my name my entire life and it was just easier for me to turn into it than to try and steer away. Is it, like, it, no, it's rich, okay? Is it the spelling just R-I-C-H? R-E-I-C-H, just like the German Reich. Yeah, like Reich. How could they spell that wrong? Well, I mean, how do they pronounce that wrong, rather? Well, I got reach a lot. Uh, Re-eich, which is just weird. Who, yeah. who would look at a word and be like, oh, I should separate this into two words? No, the Reich. <laughs> I mean, come on, the Reich is like a pretty, the Reich. Do you ever get people coming and making derogatory German comments about it? Only like As 90% of the time. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Only every time I tell someone that's my name. Yeah. Uh, fair enough. Only, All right. only if they don't feel comfortable enough making that joke, do they not make exactly. that joke. Well, when did you start to... Go by that. I think it was probably around when I was 16. Okay. Um, so by this time, you've adopted that. Yeah. Okay. I, um, I'll tell you just something interesting real quick, just sure. as, a, as a thing of note, because you'll find this pretty hilarious equally. I dated a girl before. I introduced her to my father, and I was like, yeah, dad, uh, this is my girlfriend. Her name is Lydia Muir. And my dad was like, Fuhrer with an M? <laughs> like, right to her. Wow. And she'd never heard that before. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> That's a stretch right there. Okay, so the backtrack here. So, Ryan, you're 18. What's going through your head? Like, where are you at in this time of your life? Um, You're playing music? Yeah, I mean, I was in a couple of bands. I was a senior in high school. I had my own car. I was going out and partying at friends' houses uh, every weekend. Typical 18-year-old? In Woodstock. It's a lot easier to get a little bit of weed than it is to get some beer. So getting kind of stoned, enjoying my childhood. Well, the end of my childhood. Were you stoned during this phone call? (laughs) I'm fairly certain I was. I don't really remember the phone call too well, except I remember the way it happened. I remember my mom calling up from downstairs in our house. Ryan, telephone. And I grabbed a portable phone, and I went into my room, and my bed at the time was just on the floor, and I had taken the doors off of my closet, and the mattress was slid into the closet. So if you were laying with your head at the head of the mattress, you're looking at the ceiling of my closet, which was then covered in -in glow-in-the-dark stars. It had glow-in-the-dark hippie beads strung around it. Um, you would. It was it was the the perfect place to get stoned and have your astrology chart read. Basically. <laughs> I feel like I'm in the room already. So let's take a listen to this first clip. There's only so many clips that we could play, so I figured that this one would be good, and then a few others as well. So let's take a listen to just a taste of what we have. Play that funky clip, white boy. Um, I'm going to go back to the beginning and go around all this stuff and describe all the stuff that's a part of your chart. Um, But there's a few questions I want to ask you, okay? 
and they may seem unrelated to everything I just said, but there's just some things I need to place in your chart. You happen to be in a relationship year. Are you in a relationship right now? Nope. Well, you know, by the time we get to July, the relating relationship area is going to like be really cracked wide open for you. Um, you know, the first half of March, even friendships may have ended for you. You know, there was a lot of change that was disruptive in your chart for the first half of March. It's um, going to end up being to your advantage because what it's doing is it's clearing out like what you would have been attracted to even in relationships in the past. But by July, it's very likely that you'll be experiencing a, you know, a way of relating a different kind of harmony in the relating relationship area. Are you a musician? Um, are you also, do you do something with your visual sense? Do you paint? Uh, draw. Okay, because you're, you're really gifted, Ryan. I'm not saying this for your ego, okay? I mean, you know, I may never speak to you again, you know? <laughs> the, your chart, the map is all about this amazing giftedness that you have um, with both the visual and, again, what I, and, and your musicianship. There's also this other really interesting kind of, philosophical thing that you have that I would normally connect to writing, like people who write music or write poetry. I don't know if you've gotten there yet, but you have that ability. Wow. She was born it on. A couple things. Did you have, end up having a girlfriend by the time uh, the summer <laughs> after graduating high school came around? Yes. Damn. Okay. So she's on point. She got it on point. Yeah, wait. Yeah. Do you have the capacity to write? <laughs> Did it ever happen? Turns out no. Oh. <laughs> um, All right. Late. Wait. Do you think you just didn't fulfill your potential? It's there, but you didn't. No. I mean, I I dabbled in writing. I in in an embarrassing admission uh, did some like open mic poetry during really? college. Get out of here. Uh, nothing that this. I would ever ever. Around first. All right. Get off the show. Again. Get off the show. We don't deal with people <laughs> I, expressing hey, their emotions. Actually. <laughs> I will admit that I did dabble a little bit as well into the open mic thing. Got booed, but I, of course I got doing, booed. Wait, doing poetry? I, Who was, boos a poet? Assholes. Yeah, that's, that's, that's definitely awesome. assholes. In Ithaca, no less. Too. Well, of course, because they're going to be like drunk at the bar like, doesn't rhyme enough. <laughs> right. Uh, more puns. Yeah. That I, doesn't sound like a limerick. Exactly. <laughs> more ladies from Nantucket. And then we're talking. <laughs> Yeah, I gotta say, everything there was pretty on point. Yeah. Um, well. I had never talked to her before in my life. I, as she said, have never talked to her again. I actually, yeah, that's, that was perfect. I actually forgot to ask you before we went into the clip. Is this the first time you were hearing this since you were 18? So, so the way it worked was that she called me. It was a 90-minute appointment. And then for some reason, she recorded it on a 60-minute tape. And then mailed me the 60-minute tape. Oh, my goodness. So I did listen to it when I first got it in the mail because I did not really remember it well enough. <laughs> uh, obviously, I was in my own world exactly. there. But, yeah, I mean, everything she said was pretty on point. I think around March, there were some tumultuous times in friendship. And around July, I was involved in a tumultuous relationship. And I was playing music at the time. I wonder uh, if she ever gets yeah. people where she'll say to them, I was looking over your chart, and uh, would you consider yourself not creative? <laughs> would you consider yourself not a person who makes anything? Like, do you really think that you're just going to fall into <laughs> I mean, into a, an alleyway and, and just into drugs? And I wonder if she – because she was saying so many good things to you, and it seems as though you did have a nice, fruitful life since. So she was placating you to a degree as you would when you pay someone to give you a service. 
but I wonder how much she does that and how much she's reading that. You know? Well, I, I mean, I think even if she did see someone who their chart said, oh, well, you have a high chance of winding up addicted to every drug imaginable and living in an alleyway, she'd probably have to phrase it differently. In a different way. Yeah. yeah. She'd probably yeah. have to be like, well, I see here there's a lot of conflict possibly in your future. I would stay away from anything that's addictive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She's going to put it in a nice, subtle way like, yeah, do you ever, do people in your family have any problems with addiction? Because mm-hmm. you better watch it, dude. <laughs> you are on the path, <laughs> the path of doom. Did you have a big ego? Um, Not at the time. I think at the time I was in a really good stage of not giving a fuck about anything. Mm. That's like Um, the perfect 18-year-old. Like that's the same – I was the same way. People were like, how did you feel about the world when you were 18? I'm like, I didn't feel anything about it. It was like the most – pure cynicism you'd ever have yeah you know it was just mm-hmm. ah, you know you can't you can't bottle that yeah that might have yeah i, I think just... i think there was really like a sense of you know nothing really really matters too much like there's always going to be like a way that something you know wraps itself up and you get out of a bad situation or you get into a good situation things just happen it's fine i remember that you were in this relationship actually because we went to montreal it was October of 2002. So you had just graduated. Or sorry, no. Yeah, you had just graduated high school. Yep. And you were in this relationship since July. And we went to Montreal, the two of us, but you didn't bring her along. And I think you had originally had planned to bring her along or something. Or maybe not. I don't know. But it was not a very clean relationship. It was very messy. Yeah. Yeah. It was a. It was not a good situation that I got myself into. And, you know, there's there's a lot of things where, like, you, looking back at it, you're like, oh, yeah, that was never a good idea. But it's definitely not anything I regret either. The, no. the one thing well, you, I regret was, was promising her that I wouldn't follow you to a strip club in Montreal. <laughs> I, I definitely should have gone to a strip club in Montreal. When yeah, I dude, there. that is, I mean, I'll, I'll say it like this. Uh, I've been to Montreal one time, and I was 18. And we went to like three strip clubs. <laughs> like yeah. that was like that's what everyone told me. Like you gotta go to a strip club while you're there. I mean, I can definitely tell you from my strip club experience. The first strip club that I went to, which was probably I want to say a year later, was actually one where my well, my ex girlfriend then uh, was working at. Ooh, ah. but it was Ooh, the, la, la. the girlfriend that I was involved with right in July after this recording. That's so amazing. Um, and her sister, her older sister, was a stripper. Um, So she had gotten her this job working at the strip club serving drinks in pretty much lingerie. And so, yeah, I stopped by this seedy strip club outside of New Paltz. Uh, Yep. I think I know the one you're talking about already. I cannot recommend it, I gotta say. That's not not a great strip club to go to. Well, I tell you, one of the things uh, in Montreal that was so cool about it to me was the fact that it was French. It was totally French. They were announcing in French. The bouncer was speaking in French. I should have known that it was a bad strip club when the cover was one American dollar. (laughs) (laughs) That would be telling. I was like, hmm. Um, But someone told me, of course, when we go there, like, I didn't have any inclination or idea to go to a strip club when I went. The girl I was dating at the time was like, oh, we should go to strip clubs. And I was like, uh, sure. You know, I'm not going to say no if you're a girl, a friend of mine that wants to go. 
Side note, she's lesbian now. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, Big side note. Yes, exactly. But one thing that someone told me when I went to Montreal, it was the junior class trip in college, and I was a freshman. And then people go, well, how did you go? And I went when they were signing people up, and I was like, do you have to be a junior to go on this trip? And they're like, no, there's no requirement. And I was like, but it's for juniors, right? And they're like, yeah. And they're like, but I don't have to be a junior. And they're like, no. Like, how much is it? They're like $75 for four days. Oh, my goodness. I was goodness. like, I'm there. And I went and met all these juniors. Yeah. Like, we're hanging out with them and stuff. Perfect. And there was one of these juniors that we were with, and I guess he was a strip club connoisseur. Because he, like, <laughs> kept bringing up these facts about this club that we should be knowing. And he goes, oh, my God, I love it in Canada. And we're like, what is it? Well, for one, I could drink when I was 18. Exactly. That, yeah. Well, that's the reason why kids go there. That was, the, yeah, that that was, was the, our main reason. Exactly. For the trip. No, yeah. it was. It was I know the rest of Canada is 19. It's only in French Canada that it's 18. Correct. Oh. But basically what he brought up to me, he goes, in an American strip club, if it's bottomless, they can't serve liquor. Huh. They can only serve beer. And if it's just topless, they can serve whatever. What an obscure piece of knowledge to have. <laughs> yeah. Actually, well, I think in, in New York anyways, uh, at the time that I went to the strip club, if they were taking their tops off even, then they couldn't serve any sort of alcohol. So all the beverages came in those little cute, like, half cans or half bottles, like the little adorable kid-sized ones. So you could seal it or whatever? Yeah. Is this so, like, (laughs) just, like, even the thought of this, is this so, like, nothing falls out into your drink? (laughs) Okay. All right. We're moving on. We're moving on. I know, like, the... (laughs) That your, your faces and the noises you made were perfectly encapsulated <laughs> yeah. the answer to we're, that question. We're, we're moving on. Yeah. It, it, that's a good time to move on. So let's move on. This is going to sound like a really weird question, but do you have, like, allergies or something? Um, not really. You're not asthmatic or anything? Um, not really, but I don't have much endurance. Well, there's this thing with your with breathing with you, like your air intake. Do you sing? Uh, occasionally. You know, like if you were to study singing, it might help you with this. You know, like a lot of your physical stamina is connected to an air problem. That's why I was wondering if it was like allergies or asthma or something. It's like the, it's kind of like you, you have to remember to breathe once in a while. You know, we, we need to breathe. You need fuller intakes on your lungs and there's like an anxiety thing that might happen where you might tend to constrict in that area you know so like if you worked on singing like if you found out you know or even like um had somebody who helped you or you know taught you something about singing it might actually help you with your breathing it might help increase your endurance my last question is a kind of sensitive one is there alcoholism in your family On your father's side of the family, was his father some, like, addictive at all? Um, I think my father's father smoked uh, cigars for a while. Oh, okay. Well, that's not a... A lot of chocolate. Oh, (laughs) well, those aren't the terrible addictions, you know. Um, But they just show this kind of addictive nature, you know, in your family. You know, so I, I don't know where, like, maybe your father overworks, you know, or something like that. She was dropping hints, man. Yeah, she was. She was really trying for that subtlety <laughs> that uh-huh. we were talking about before. So huh? you are a weed smoker. <laughs> there's a chance you'll be laying an alley. <laughs> she, there's there's a chance that maybe I should stay away from addictive substances. I'm telling you, chocolate, 
like and chocolate tobacco. and tobacco. Yeah. yeah. Fortunately, I'm not addicted to chocolate, so I think I'm doing okay, guys. Did you ever get addicted to tobacco? Um, no, no. You've never smoked a cigarette? I've smoked a cigarette before, but it just um, you never got addicted to no. it. No. No, not really. Good for you, Sonny boy. I actually Good for have you. a pretty strong willpower. Um, Good. I think she was wrong yeah. in that respect. Um, Are you asthmatic? Were you, you never showed signs of asthma, though? I, no, that? I've never what, had what, asthma. This endurance I was just problem. lazy as fuck. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, like how she, I mean, that's exactly what I thought when you said that. Like, I felt like you were almost making fun of her, like, yeah. in a really subtle way. You like, were just appeasing her. Like, all. yeah, I got problems with endurance. Like, yeah. that meant, like, I never get off my ass. Yeah. <laughs> Really, really, it wasn't even a problem with endurance. Like, I used to ride mountain bikes all the time. Yeah. Like, I, to... I grew up in the woods on a mountain. I would get on a mountain bike and ride up the logging trails behind my house, basically. You got to do what you got to um, do. Get around. Yeah, I don't know where that was coming from. I did, at some point, develop an allergy to pollen, which is very common, but pretty unpleasant. But it, I've nothing got, I've that's, got, I've like, got it kept too. me from breathing. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, yeah, like... She's saying that in a certain amount of anxiety, it's going to make you short of breath. She was getting mighty specific with that. I've heard of that. I see people have panic attacks and they're like, <laughs> Yeah, I definitely have had a panic attack before, and that was absolutely terrifying. What happened? I honestly don't really remember the context. I remember the feeling. I remember feeling totally overwhelmed and having to lay down and just breathe and concentrate on every function in my body doing what it was supposed to do. But it wasn't something that came back. You know, it wasn't something that became a recurring thing in my life. It was physical. It was a physical. It wasn't a mental panic attack. Well, I mean, I think all panic I mean, they're attacks all, they're both. stem from mental. I yeah, think. they come from mental and they manifest themselves physically, yeah. I think. Because you'll have a moment of which you're, again, like panicking as if something really terrible was about to happen and you have no answer for how to solve it. Sure. But when you look at it out of context, whatever you were worrying about is not really when terrible. Did, when did it happen? I mean, I think it was probably about that time, actually. Um, it was probably when I was between 18 and 20. It was a thing that happened to me once or twice, no seeming connection, um, and I haven't had one since. When I was really, really little, I used to have night terrors weird Um, yeah i used to have panic attacks when i was a little kid and they were connected to me having fevers mm -hmm. and hallucinating yeah and i would hallucinate i would see something that wasn't there and i would freak out about it i one time hallucinated that i had six fingers on my hand and my dad said i was in his room just like there's six fingers what am i gonna do and i'm five like losing it and he's just there trying to stroke my head and get me to calm down because there's no explanation he can give me to solve this. He's like, Yeah, you can't you talk someone have, out of that. You don't have six fingers. No, I do. Look. No, you don't. Do you remember any of the night terrors that you had, Ryan? I remember a couple of them. One of them, I was, for some reason, trying to get across this giant chasm. And there's all these thick metal wires going across the chasm. And I needed to kind of like hand over hand with my legs over it, drag myself across these wires. And then I'd be halfway across, and all of a sudden my thumbs would get really, really big and start pulling me down. And I was like, why are my thumbs so big? They're so heavy. I can't grab anything. They're these giant thumbs. And I would wake up, and I would look down at my hands, and they'd be totally normal, but they would feel like they were huge. And I wouldn't be able to move, and I wouldn't be able to make any sounds. And I would just lay in my bed trying to yell like mom and dad at the top of my lungs. And it just came out like, mom, dad. And they were on the other side of my house. 
and could not hear me at all. And so maybe after 15 or 20 minutes, my voice would finally come back and I'd be able to get out one shrill mom and my mom would just come bolting into my room and I'd all of a sudden snap out of it like that and, really? and oh, just like hey, break hey, into tears Can and I just be like, like that's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Well, all this tells me is, at least from hearing these stories, because I didn't have these necessarily, but it would appear that night terrors slash panic attacks at young ages seem to be relating to hands. Something to do with hands, whether six fingers or huge thumbs. Yeah. I think something weird about that. I think there is something weird about that. We should should, should consult. I think that that's something that I hear that people always tell me similarly when they're having a a problem, like if they're on a drug or something. They're always like, oh, my hands, my hands, the same way. Yeah. One of the things that you see on a normal basis all the time is your own hands. Mm -hmm. So there's something that I think is comfortable about looking at your hands and them always being the same. You know, I know it like the back of my hand, that idea. Mm. Well, it is also In good idiom. It's also like the primary way that you interact with the world in a physical sense. You're not like a dog reaching out for everything with your mouth. If you want something, if you want to see what something actually feels like, you reach out with your hands. So like- And if you feel like something is- There's a problem there. Yeah, exactly. Something's disturbing the status quo of your hands. Exactly. This is my tool. This is my tool that I use- all the time. Yeah. And something's messed up with that. It's bad news. We got time for one more clip. This is a little longer than the other two, but she goes off on this one, <laughs> to be fair. So let's take a listen and hear what knowledge she's dropping. Um, you piss off authority figures, Ryan. Have you noticed this? Um, it's because your moon in Virgo is perceived as being aloof. It's because you are smarter than most people. So, you know, it's fixed, what we call fixed in your chart. There's nothing I can do for you in this area except to point it out, <laughs> okay? So when you go into a room full of suits, like if you go into, like, like, let's say a few years from now, you're negotiating your record deal, okay, and you go into the room full of suits, as soon as you walk in the room, you've pissed one of them off. It's like just the way it's going to be, okay? So you have to figure out the aspect of you that intuitively knows what this authority figure wants from you. You know, do they want to see your talent and you know they just want to see your talent? Just show them your talent. But you have this part of you that says, screw you. I know what you want from me, but I am not going to give it to you. Where you like to test this, okay? So I am pointing out as an astrologer, like, you know, you have what's called fixed energy in this area. You are always going to have this effect on authority figures. How about you just give them what they want? I mean, not to your own detriment, of course, but where you just like, you know, like give them what they want and be who you really are in your personal relationship area. You know, so like when you go, when you go into a relationship with somebody, instead of thinking, you know, figuring out what they want you to be and being it, you are who you are in the relationship. And when you go into an authority figure, give them what they want to see. It will fix everything. Because then, although you'll still piss somebody off in the room who's an authority figure, they'll at least think you're giving them what they want. But in your love relationship area, instead of like going into a circumstance and being what you think somebody wants you to be, and then they don't know you, you're being who you are. You're eliminating like six months of bad dating by being who you are in that moment. And if they don't like who you are, they're the wrong person for you. You need to be with somebody who sees who you are by you showing them who you are, and they're cool with it. And I know that sounds like the obvious, 
but you have these two areas flipped. <laughs> you know, um, I do think you're going to be in a position to test this out by July. I think you're going to be in a relationship by then. Um, I don't know how it's going to go for you, but you are in a cycle where a relationship is like inevitable, you know. So, you know, as we go through this year, you're in what's called a six cycle, which is when most people go into a relationship. Um, you, the challenge, of course, is to not be the people pleaser in the relationship, just to be who you really are in the relationship. And, you know, the moon that you have makes you shy, but makes people think you're aloof. So, you know, you might have to take some risks about expressing what's really going on with you and with who you are in order to find the relationship that works for you. You might have a tendency to go into relationships obsessively like you go through everything else you know um so i mean basically you're indicating you know really strong relationships in this lifetime you uh, you indicate children in your chart if you're interested um you also have this thing where i think you're going to live in two places like i think eventually you'll have like two homes or two places that you reside i think that would actually serve you um you need to um, believe it or not, you need to own property in this lifetime. It will change everything for you and make you feel much more secure. Um, and the funny thing about it is that, like, once you find the place, the comfort zone in your physical living environment, it's going to be really hard to get you out of the house. Like, you know, at this point and over the next 14 years, it's going to be about being pulled out into the world for you. But eventually it's going to be, you're going to be like, you know, one of these guys that, like, if you if you do go go towards the music, it will be um, sometimes it will be hard for you to tour <laughs> because it'll be hard for you to literally leave the house, you know. So, I but I do think that you have more than one environment. Um, I don't know if you write or write music, but I do see you as having that talent. I think you should be aware of where you um, like need to figure it out technically, but also need to just invent a new way of doing things you know you might be coming up with a very brand new way of doing things along this line or you may be incorporating unusual things in the kind of music you'll create it looks very innovative and inventive to me and again you're gonna have to trust your own gut instinct and do it just for the sake of it this is the most amazing thing about this clip she said 14 years and you're 32 now. Exactly. So 14 years later, after this, we're talking about this. Yeah, it is now. That is yeah. fucking bizarre. It's I totally mean, we're, strange. We're a little late. We should have talked about this back in March. Whatever. Uh, I apologize, guys. <laughs> exactly. I really exactly. do apologize. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. She basically just says all the same shit that we heard in the first two clips, but she says it in such a more blunt way. Like, you're going to piss people off. I just love when she says, it's going to be really hard to get you out of the house. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you were living at home for a while before you went to purchase, right? Right. So I I took a semester off. Uh, They were having some sort of housing issue, like an on-campus housing development wasn't actually finished in time. So they reached out to a bunch of students and were like, hey, if you guys want to defer for a semester until we actually get housing, you know, we'll give you this credit or something like that. So I took advantage of that, and I worked for a semester, and then I came in in January. I don't recommend anyone do that. That's a terrible decision, especially if you're going to school in New York. And I went to SUNY Purchase where 
I don't know if anyone, any of the listeners have been to the school, but when it's winter time, the wind just blows and cuts across this campus. There is no chance that anyone is hanging out outside. Yeah. And if you don't know someone in one of those little student enclaves where people gather, it's kind of hard to like break into that when you haven't made that introduction as like a freshman. Oh, yeah. Even if you came in a month into the year, like one month after orientation, and everything like that. Yeah. You're right. People have made their clicks. Yeah, you're already at a, at a social disadvantage. But then coming in a semester after people have already cemented those clicks. Oh, yeah. And it being the amount of terrible weather. The amount of of growing that people do in their freshman year of college and the changing that they do it. I mean, I remember that. You're exactly right. I can remember so much from my freshman year. And if I look at my sophomore, my junior, and my senior year, I can't remember nearly as many things that happened. But I go, man, my freshman year, it was just all this stuff. Yeah, I remember in orientation week and they had this thing and that and like people were doing this stuff and it was just, it was always going off. There was always something. Even in a more general sense, when she says that, it's very, very true. It's hard as hell to get me out of the house. Mm. I nest, man. If, I'm if I have a comfortable spot and I have entertainment or things to do, I will not leave the house. It takes something really interesting or someone really interesting to get me to actually leave. And now I'm here you're with here. you guys today. Yeah, I, you're on the show. Yeah. Yeah. Final thoughts of this that I have is, is that you're, you defy authority. You're lazy, so it's going to take a lot for you to get out of the house. The only other thing I can think of is it seems like relationships really do play a huge part in your life still. It, it hasn't been easy for you. Does this educate you at all about how to commit to relationships going forward? Actually, yeah. I mean, just from the clips that you've pulled today, she was pretty on point. And she gave some good advice. Yeah. She gave some good advice. She gave some really good advice. She definitely got, like, time frames. So, she exactly. Do you got, feel— got, like, some personality standards. So does that mean that now that we are 14 years later— are you at this transitionary point in your life now where you're going to get out of the house? Like, is this it? Do you feel like that? Bike? I'm about to blast off. Yeah. Are you going to buy property? Now, now that I'm 32 years old, renting in Brooklyn, uh, I'm totally in a place to buy property. <laughs> <laughs> we'll try again next time under a different administration. <laughs> we have to uh, get out of here in a little bit. So, um, Ryan, did you want to plug anything? Any last little things to talk about or – um, nothing for me. You can find some of my photography. Uh, I didn't get into writing, but I did get into photography. Um, some of it is posted to my website that I don't update nearly enough, uh, which is ryanreich.com. Um, and that's pretty much it. Ryan Reich here on Lost in Rouen. Thank you again, Ryan. Thank you so much for coming up, man. Thank you, guys. We'll be back in a little bit to wrap up. chart readings, mixtapes, <laughs> or anything at all that's relevant to the tapes of yesteryear. If you're spitting rhymes yeah, back in time. Exactly. We want to hear it. Lost and Rewound at gmail.com. And we are all over the place. Lost and Rewound, all one word. Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter. And you can find all of our old episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud. And we've got our mm. audio boom page. We're all over the place. Written in hieroglyphics in ancient Egypt. You can find us everywhere. My name's Alon. I'm Jimmy. Thank you for joining me on my birthday episode. Yeah, happy birthday to you. We'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Lost and Rewound, Radio Free Brooklyn. Thank you.
this weird idea. I think I'm going to heaven. That just reminded me of something. I need to play a soccer game today. See ya.